everybody. Good evening to everyone. I welcome you all to another time of encounter in the Word of the Lord. Faith Generation, God bless you all so much for joining in fellowship tonight. As always, God intends to flood our lives with the light of His truth. Hallelujah. And as always, we know that our focus is in the Word of God, and we see Jesus. Amen and amen. Tonight we are going to continue, as I posted on our WhatsApp page, we're going to be continuing in our study of the Book of Romans. In the past uh, three weeks or four weeks or so, we had been you know, dealing with Chapter 1, Chapter 2. By way of recap and review, we saw how Paul laid out what is going to be the central theme of his entire discourse, that is the entire letter of, to the Romans, the book of Romans, when he said in Romans chapter number 1, verse 17, that for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to them that believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. And he said that that being the central theme, Paul in the later chapters would unpack what that actually means. Hallelujah. We also said that, we also saw that Paul revealed how that the heathen, the Gentiles, are without any excuse. And also the Jew, who took pride in the fact that they had the law, are without excuse. Paul concludes both of them, including the moralist, the one who justifies himself by thinking he does so much good works, Conclude them all, concluded them all under sin. And because of that, they were all under the judgment of God. And if God should judge them, he would be right in doing so. Hallelujah. So, Paul now transitions into chapter 3, and we are going to see what he discusses in chapter 3. There are so many things to learn here. And I trust that in the past few weeks, as we have you know, been going through uh uh, systematically and exegetically, your life is actually being impacted by the word that is coming to you. You are receiving understanding. You are receiving revelation. You are seeing the word of God more clearer. You are seeing the plan of God in Christ even more clearer as it pertains to the subjects that Paul actually discusses in, uh, in the book of Romans. Hallelujah. I am particularly blessed by the study that we are doing because you know, as I said, Paul is is such. Um, uh, uh, I'm trying to find the right word here. He's such an exceptional uh, uh, a writer. Not not just even a writer, but the way he presents his his arguments forth. He he. he <laughs> there is no better way, and it's interesting how God used that ability that he has. Paul being a lawyer using that, you know, even in the propagation of the gospel. You know, he, he pens down his arguments so beautifully, and, and, and it's very difficult to argue with the way Paul, you know, lays down uh, his, his convictions and the revelation God had given him concerning what he had done in Christ for us. That is justification to faith, the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel. 
and how that all the questionings of men are answered by that. Hallelujah. We'll see more of that today. Uh, so let's jump right in. Romans chapter number 3, if you do have your Bibles, let's, let's go there. We saw in the latter part of chapter 2, Paul says that he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is, is, of, the, is of the spirit, it's in the spirit, it's not just in the flesh. Hallelujah. And then Paul now comes in Romans chapter number 3, look at verse 1. We are going to go through as we have done previously in the two chapters. Look at Romans chapter number 3, verse 1. Paul says, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Remember, Paul had discussed that the Jew to them were committed the oracles of God. You understand? Paul had discussed that they had the light of revelation through the law. Unto them the law was given. But they could not obey the law, or they did not keep the dictates of the law. Therefore, they were rightly under the judgment of God. Much so like the heathen who without the law also sinned against their conscience. So Paul concludes both the heathen and the Jew, uh, the one who had the law and the one without the law, under sin. And he would later reveal what God had done in Christ for both of them. So Paul comes now and says, what advantage then had the Jew? Now, like I mentioned last week, the Jews took great pride in their heritage. What is that? They took pride that they were the natural seed of Abraham. Because remember, God called Abraham and established the covenant with him. And out of Abraham, God chose a people for his name. That is the natural seed of Abraham. But that was simply a type that was pointing to a reality that was yet to come. When God spoke to Abraham, we'll see later on in, the, in, in Galatians and also here in the book of Romans, that God was actually speaking about the seed that will come to Christ. The seed of Abraham, not seeds. The seed of Abraham was actually Christ Jesus. And his generation, that is, all who would be born of the incorruptible word of truth, those who would be born after Christ, who, like Christ, will also partake in the resurrection from the dead. This is the seed, or this is the seed and his generation, that God was actually referring to when he spoke to Abraham, but was typified by the natural seed of Abraham. So the Jews took great pride in the fact that Abraham was their father. One time they came to Jesus, Jesus was you know, giving it to them very hot. And they said that, our father is Abraham. Jesus said, if your father is Abraham, you would have believed in me. Because Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He says, you are of your father the devil. Hallelujah. That is why Paul says that he's not a Jew who is one outwardly. Amen and amen. So Paul says, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there to circumcision? Because we know circumcision in the flesh, that is the cutting away of the foreskin, of the males in the Jewish religion was a sign of the Abrahamic covenant that God had with them. So it was what distinguished them from everybody else. Hallelujah. But that was also a type pointing to the real circumcision that would take place in the spirit. The taking away of the stony heart and the renewing of the heart of the, of the, of the man who comes to believe in Christ. Hallelujah. So what advantage then had the Jew, or what prophet there, is in circumcision.
Then he continues to say, much in every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. The advantage of the Jew was that unto them were committed the oracle of God. Whereas everybody else in the world was in darkness because of sin, the Jews had the light of the revelation of God. This light of revelation God gave them, which was the law, was a light that was pointing to what God would do for the salvation of mankind. That was the advantage of the Jew. And instead of understanding what God was actually intending to do, they rather took pride in it and were breaking the law, which was a light unto them. Hallelujah. Therefore, they were also under judgment. The Bible says, unto them were committed the oracles of God. The word oracles here comes from the Greek word logion. Logion means utterance. Hallelujah. Specifically here in this context, the utterances of God. Remember in Hebrews chapter number 1 verse 1, the Bible says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke to us times past, spoke in times past unto the Father and the prophets. The, the Jews had the utterances or the oracles of God given to them through the prophets. When the Holy Spirit, through the prophet, revealed the mind of God unto them, which they wrote down in laws and promises and prophecies. Hallelujah. They had the oracles of God. That means they had the opportunity to know what God was doing and believed it. Hallelujah. They had the oracles of God. You know, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, that we were God who has said times and in Bible moments, speak to us in times past, speak in times past unto the, pro, unto the fathers by the prophets. The word at sundry times and in diverse manners comes from the Greek word polymeros and polytropos. Hallelujah. Polymeros means variously as to time and agency. And polytropos means variously as to method and form. That means that the utterances or the oracles of God that were given in times past, that is to the fathers of old, that is Genesis to Malachi, all the revelation of God, they were given by piecemeal, in piecemeal. When we say piecemeal, that means here a little, there a little. What is the conclusion of that? The revelation of God was progressive. So the Old Testament is a progressive revelation of God. Hallelujah. You see the light of God becoming clearer and clearer and clearer until Jesus actually came. Amen and amen. How do we know that? This is very key for our study as it shows us that there is a progression of revelation in the Old Testament. So to properly handle the text of Scripture presented to us in the Old Testament, that is Genesis to Malachi, one would have to take it holistically. You can't just take something out of context and be running with it. Because even though it is a light, there is a greater light revealed later. And you would better understand the purpose and plan of God when you take it all holistically. Again, the Old Testament or the revelation of God in the Old Testament was given in piecemeal. Little by little, here a little, line upon line, precept upon precept, you understand? Progressive revelation, the light was becoming clearer. Hallelujah. 
So Second Peter chapter number 1, verse 19 to 21, listen to what Peter says concerning that. Peter says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as a light that shines in a dark place unto the day, until the day dawn, and the day star arise in your heart. He says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. He calls the entire scriptures prophecy. Hallelujah. Because they are the oracles of God. They are the utterances of God. Given through the prophets. But he calls these, this prophecy as a light that is shining through dark places. That is, ochmeros. In obscure places, hallelujah, the light of revelation that was given to the prophet was obscured was shining through dark places. He's giving us a picture of how almost like the day dawning. Amen and amen. When it's like 4 a.m. and the day is about to dawn, the light is not that clear. Hallelujah. As you go through 5 a.m., 6 a.m., until 7 a.m., when the sun actually rises up in, 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 in the fullness of its strength, and you see the light even clearly. Hallelujah. There is a progression of the manifestation of the light. In the same way, the Old Testament, showing to us here, is in progressive revelation. So Peter says that we have this more sure word of prophecy. He's talking, he's referring to the Old Testament as the prophecy of, as, as a prophecy, the utterances or the oracles of God. Whereunto we would do well to take heed as a light shining in dark places until the day star, until the day dawn and the day star arise in our hearts. Hallelujah. Who is the day star? The day star is the morning star, the phosphorus. That is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So the, the purpose of the Old Testament, the writings of the Old Testament, the oracles of God presented to us from Genesis to Malachi, the utterances of God, the purpose of it was that they would pay heed to it to bring them to the day star until the day star, that is Christ, arise in their heart. So any man who follows the revelation of the Old Testament, the revelation of God given progressively in the Old Testament would arrive at Christ Jesus. When you study the Old Testament holistically and do not arrive at Christ and do not come to the place where you believe in Christ, you've missed the whole point of the revelation of the Old Testament. Hallelujah. There are many in our day who do not know how to handle the Old Testament. Amen and amen. The Old Testament, even though it is called old, the utterances and the oracles of God presented therein is a progressive revelation given to point to Christ. The culmination is in the day star. It says, until the day star arises in your heart. How would Christ arise in your heart if you don't believe in him? So the essence of the revelation of God in the Old Testament was that men would believe, would look for, hallelujah, would expect the coming of the Christ and believe in him. That is the totality of the message of the Old Testament. So Jesus said, you said the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but these scriptures speak about me. And those of us who have come to believe in Christ the day star has risen in our hearts. Amen and amen. We have the fullness of the revelation of God 
in our heart. That is in the man Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Somebody say with me, I have the fullness. Talk to me, faith generation. Say with me, I have the fullness. I have the fullness. Of the revelation of God. Of the revelation of God. In my heart. In my heart. Hallelujah. Who is that Jesus? So when you have Christ, you don't look elsewhere. You don't go back to the shadows, the types and the shadows anymore. The reality has come. That's what the Bible says. The law was a schoolmaster that brought us to faith in Christ. The entire import of the Old Testament was that men would come to believe in, in Jesus. Hallelujah. Let me repeat that again. The entire import of the Old Testament was that men would come to believe in Jesus. The oracles of God, the utterances of God given through the prophets was in piecemeal, little by little, a progressive revelation that points and culminates in Christ Jesus, who is the day star. So if you follow that revelation carefully, you will end up with Christ Jesus. So that is why we keep saying, you've not properly studied the word of God until Christ is revealed in it to you. Until you see Jesus, you've not yet studied the word. Hallelujah. So let's read further. In Second Peter 1.19, we have a more show of the prophecy, whereunto we do well to take heed, as a light that shined in dark places, ochmeros, until the day dawn and the day star rise in our heart. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures is of any private interpretation. What it means is that what he's trying to say, no prophecy came by the will of man. Continue. Let's continue and we'll see. He says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You see it. So under the auspices and inspiration of the Spirit, these prophets of old spoke. But you see, their, their revealing of the plan and purpose of God was a light that was shining in dark places. Sometimes it was even mad in their own imperfections. That is why when the fullness of the true light actually came, that is Jesus Christ, he brought an explanation and understanding of all things. That is why I keep saying, why did the Jews, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, why were they so against Jesus Christ? Why were they always at loggerheads, always like bumping heads with Jesus? Why were they always fighting Jesus? They had the law, they believed in the law, they read the law, they were students of the law. As a matter of fact, they were so passionate about the law. And Jesus was too. But how come they were always bumping heads? It is because the understanding of Christ was different from their own understanding. Jesus brought forth the true revelation of the progressive light that was in the Old Testament. He brought it forth. And that was not the understanding these men had. So he says, the eyes are there, but they see not. And sadly, there are many who read the Old Testament today, and eyes are there, they see not. They don't really see the essence of the Old Testament. Hallelujah. That is why I tell you, when you read and you see David killing Goliath, that story is put there not just because a, a, a small man can kill a big man. No. 
it is put there because it is communicating a certain truth about what God will do in Christ. Hallelujah. All the stories that are put together for us in the Old Testament, all the prophecies, all the promises, the law, everything, they point to one man, Christ Jesus. The Bible says, the word became flesh. It dwelt among us. We beheld in glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hallelujah. They point to him. He's the underlying revelation. You must see him. That's why we say, we see Jesus. So you come to Hebrews when, uh, Hebrews chapter number one, the writer of Hebrews is trying to place a clear distinction between Jesus and all the things that the Jews held so dear in their lives. Number one, the Jews believed in angels because they knew that the law was given through the mediation of angels. So in Hebrews chapter 1, immediately the writer puts a distinction between angels and Jesus, letting them know that they are not on the same level. He says, to which of the angels did he at any time say, sit down at my right hand side? Hallelujah. But when the son came into the world, he said, all the angels should do what worship him. Amen and amen. There and there, he put a distinction between Jesus and the angels. The Jews held angels in high esteem. Because in the Old Testament, you see a lot of angelic activity. Moses, the burning bush, there was an angel appearing to him. Jacob fought and wrestled with an angel. Hallelujah. Angelic activity. Or the, the law that was brought by angels. Hallelujah. So they believed and held them in high esteem. The writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is greater than angels. Amen and amen. He is the son. He says his angels is make us ministry spirit and flames of fire. Jesus is the son of God in truth. The Jews held the patriarchs of old in high esteem. Abraham, Moses. The writer of Hebrews speaks concerning Moses. Amen and amen. And he speaks concerning him how that Christ is greater than him. They held Melchizedek in high esteem. The writer of Hebrews shows how Melchizedek was just a figure like unto the coming Christ. Amen and amen. Christ is greater than him. They held the temple, the tabernacle, and all its sacrifices and washings and rituals and rites that they performed in there. They held it in high esteem. You should understand that the temple was at the center of Jewish life, both spiritual, political, and, 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 and social. It was at the center of their social, political, and spiritual life. But the writer of Hebrews clearly shows, as we read the next time we do a study of the book of Hebrews, you see that he, he shows how that all the things that were done in the temple, even the tabernacle itself and the altar, pointed to one man, Jesus, and how that he is greater than that all. The Levitical pointed at how that, that also points to Christ. And the priesthood that will come out of him. Then after he had done all this, he summed all those people we call the role, in the roll call of faith, Hebrews chapter number 11, right from Adam all the way down. And he shows that Jesus is greater than them all. Then after he says all that, he says, looking away, away from what? From all these, from the temple, from Moses, from Abraham, from all these people, unto Jesus. Hallelujah. The author and finisher. That means the revelation of faith in the lives of all these people and in the lives of all these things, it was Christ. Hallelujah. 
and the finisher. When he came, he died and he resurrected. He completed the revelation. Amen and amen. So we say in Christ is the totality of the revelation of God. He's the visible one of the invisible God. That is why this is the mystery that was hidden for ages to past. Ages past. He says, Christ in you, the hope of what? Glory. Brethren, do you know what you have? The Christ that is you. Do you understand? Have you, have you sat down to just think upon what it means to have Christ in you? Hallelujah. Shadabakoyatas. The entirety of the glory of God in you. The word made flesh tabernacled in you. Hallelujah. That's why I say Christ in you. The hope of glory. Amen and amen. We have it better in Christ. Hallelujah. Mandola Bakasayas. Amen and amen. When you follow the line of prophecy in the, in the promises of the prophet throughout the Old Testament, you should arrive at Christ. And you should believe in it because all things point to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Let's go. So you see, until then we committed the oracles of God. Then it continues on in verse 3. In Romans chapter number 3, verse 3 says, For what if some did not believe? You see it. Even though they had the oracles of God, he says, what if some did not believe? All the utterances of God, which was a light pointing to Christ, what if they did not believe those, that, those utterances? What if they did not believe the revelation of Christ that was hidden in there? Shall their own belief make the faith of God without effect? Paul is asking. And he answers himself. Hallelujah. He says, God forbid, in verse 4, yeah, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Hallelujah. What if some did not believe? Shall their own belief make the faith of God without effect? That means, the fact that men did not believe the progressive revelation of God in the Old Testament to believe in Christ does not negate what God God's plan and purpose does not negate what God had intended to do in Christ Jesus. So he says, God forbid, let God be true and every man a liar. Hallelujah. Listen, brethren. As believers, our allegiance is to the truth of God. Our allegiance is not to popular opinion. The general consensus of men everywhere the universal agreement of men everywhere. That is not what our allegiance is to, because that is not truth. Hallelujah. Our allegiance is to truth as revealed in Christ Jesus. So even if nobody believes what God has done in Christ, we believe. And we will not be moved or be swayed. We will not waver in our faith just because others don't believe. As you journey on in your faith, you may go to places where you are the only person who believes. Maybe at your workplace, everybody does not believe. You are the only one who believes. And they may attack your faith viciously. Hallelujah. There may be certain things where it, it is popular opinion, politically correct, in the generation. But you stand alone in your faith because that is the truth God has revealed in His Word. Stand fast in that truth. Don't be swayed by popular opinion. Truth is based on what God has done in Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
He says, God forbid, let God be true, but every man a liar. Hallelujah. As it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. You see, because he is God, he must of necessity be just and true. The Bible says that God is not a man that he should lie. Neither is he the son of man that he should repent. Everything God does in his judgments, in his actions, in his sayings, they are truth. All things are done in truth. Hallelujah. So when God judges, he is right. Because his judgment is in righteousness. Amen and amen. So no matter how faithless they were under the old law, God remained true and faithful still. Look at Second Timothy chapter number 2, verse 11 to 13. Paul says, it is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Hallelujah. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abides faithful. He cannot deny himself. Amen and amen. God cannot deny himself. What he has said is what he has said. What he has revealed is what he has revealed. Hallelujah. He is true and does all things in truth. Even if men don't believe, he abided faithful. That is, he is committed to doing what he has said. Despite the fact that men don't believe, it does not change what God wants to do. Even if no one believes, God still stands on what he has decided to do. So the question is not God, or you, you know, most people say, you know, God is on my side. No, 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 no. The question is who is on the Lord's side? Hallelujah. God doesn't take sides, especially in, the, in an election year where, you know, everything is so politically charged. And all political parties are especially trying to exploit, you know, faith for their own gain. You know, you, you, you see a lot of division that way, and everybody is claiming God on their side. Hallelujah. God doesn't belong to any political party, and God will not be used as a pawn for political purposes. Hallelujah. And so will the faith. The Christian faith cannot be used, hallelujah, as a pawn for their political purpose. And don't allow yourself as a believer to become a pawn in their political game. Amen and amen. Let God be true and every man a liar. Hallelujah. Shadabakasaya. Who is on the Lord's side? We stand with the Lord. We are on the Lord's side. Amen and amen. We are with the Lord. We stand on his truth. We believe what he has said. We believe what he has done in Christ for us. Even if no man believes, even if it is not politically correct, even if they, even if they malign us, even if they, 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 they call us all sorts of names, we stand with the revealed truth of God's word. The truth of God is not subject to evaluation by how woke we think we are. Hallelujah. Or by how enlightened or educated we think we are. Amen and amen. The truth of God is no respecter of any man's education. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. So we see it. We are to believe God's truth even if no one believes it. To the Christian general consensus of opinion is nothing. The Christian believes God's word and esteems it highly than the universal opinion of men. Hallelujah. Let's continue here. Let's look at verse, verse 5 to 8. So after Paul has said, he says, But what if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God? 
What shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. Paul is now, Paul is making an argument. So he's not bringing in some of the contentions of men, some of the things that men will try to argue with. Hallelujah. Some of the things men will say uh, to bring up an argument. So he says that, but what about unrighteousness? Commend the righteousness of God. What shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. Listen to this. This counter-argument of men that what in my sin ultimately says to bring God more glory. Is that not good? Why should God judge me then? Won't he be unjust to judge me? A perfect example is like, you know, a lot of people ask, what about Judas, Judas Iscariot? You know, he betrayed Jesus. But if Judas had not betrayed Jesus, Jesus would not have gone to the cross, and Jesus would not have died, and salvation would not have come. So is God just to judge Judas? Because out of Judas's wickedness, or out of Judas's sin, something good came out. So we ask the question, is God unrighteous to take vengeance, or is, is, is God just to judge Judas? Listen to the response Paul gave. That is a human questioning of what God does. Listen to the, the answer Paul, Paul gives in Romans chapter number 3, verse says, God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? Because you see, God is sovereign. In his sovereignty, and because he is God, he can bring good even out of the wickedness and evil of men. But that God brings good out of the wickedness and evil of men does not excuse the man who does the evil and the wickedness. It is still your evil and your wickedness. And for that, you stand guilty before God. The credit does not go to the man just because God brought good out of it. The credit goes to God. In that in his own wisdom and by his own power, he was able to bring good out of even some evil or some wickedness a man wrought. Hallelujah. But yet still, the man stands guilty before him because he wrought that evil. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. So in verse 7, he says, For if the truth of God had not abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? You see, the, the, the argument uh, some people make, Paul is trying to, you know, um, uh, present the arguments that men will make. Why am I yet being judged as a sinner? If, if, if through my lie, God receives more glory. And that is the same kind of objections we receive when we preach the grace of God. You know, Paul even says it later on, we'll see it. He says, that, shall we continue to sin so that grace would abound? Certainly not, because Paul says that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Then people will say, shall we continue to sin so that grace would abound? And Paul says, certainly not. How shall we would die to sin living in any longer? You see, you have not, oh, Shadabakose, the proper teaching and preaching of God's grace always will receive backlash. And the backlash will be this. So are you trying to say we can go on sinning? Are you trying to say we can go on doing this? You've not preached God's grace until men begin to slander you with this question. Amen and amen. And sometimes because we, we don't want to face such questions, we don't want to preach the fullness of God's grace. But you see, that kind of questioning reveals the depravity of the heart of men. Because they are taking something so glorious, a glorious gift of God in Christ, 
something that is so beautiful, God, a gift God has given us, and they are changing it into a supposed license to sin, it reveals the depravity of man. To take the most beautiful gift of God and pervert it and mock it. Hallelujah. That is God's grace. And because they don't want that, they rather turn into works. This twisting of what God has done in Christ is worse than the depravity of the pagan. It is even beyond the hypocrisy of the moralist and also even beyond the false confidence of the Jew who thinks he has the law. Hallelujah. So you see it. Such questioning should not come. You know, sometimes some people in their lives, you know, do their whatever sins they commit and things like that, and God still works good out of it. They think that, oh, you know what? Well, then what is wrong with what I did? No, you are still held accountable. Hallelujah. The fact that God is able to work good even out of the, of, of, of the mistakes and the sins of men and the wickedness of men does not mean men should continue on in their wickedness. It is not a stamp of approval of sin. If not, then God is denying himself. The glory does not go to the man. The glory goes to God, who even despite man's wickedness, is able to work it out for his glory. Hallelujah. So listen to what Paul says in verse 8. In, let's read from verse 7 to it. It says, For if the truth of God had more abounded through my life unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner, and not rather, as we be slanderously reported in some affair that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. So you see, this is what Paul was facing in his day. When he preached what God had done in Christ, when he preached the fullness of God's grace, he was slandered and reported to say that, you know, people were saying, Paul is saying, you know what, let us do evil so that good may come. That was a slander on the preaching of Paul. It is because men with depraved hearts did not really understand the grace of God. So they thought Paul was saying, let us, they were twisting Paul's message into let us do evil so that good may come. And I know this question many people ask, especially when they hear the message of grace. They say, Pastor Sam, so are you trying to say we should continue to sin? Are you trying to say it is okay to sin? How can you even bring yourself to ask such a question? Hallelujah. How can you? Amen and amen. So, for such people, in order not to be slandered, they would rather try and, you know, mix the law with grace and not preach the whole truth of God. Listen, the graciousness of God in Christ, I've said to you several times, it's not something that just came out of the blue. Just because of what Christ did, God decided to be gracious to man. No! That is who God is from the beginning. He is God, he changes not. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has been gracious from the beginning. And throughout, from Genesis through Malachi, we see the thread of God's grace expectedly woven throughout all scripture. When Adam sinned, then God came into the garden and was seeking him. And he ran away from Adam saw fig leaves to cover himself. God could have pronounced judgment upon them. And God could have totally condemned them, but he revealed to them the consequences of what they had done. And what did God do? God gave them a promise that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. If that is not a manifestation of grace, what else is that? God was telling them, I have a plan in mind to redeem you from your situation. And then God himself 
made clothes to cover their nakedness. If that is not grace, I wonder what that is. Even when when Cain killed his brother Abel, God's plan was still to redeem Cain. Cain was so afraid that people would kill him because of what he had done. God put a mark on Cain and he said that anybody who, t- who kills you, a greater judgment will come upon the person. What was that? Grace protecting Cain. If not, God would have just left him. The men would take vengeance upon him. Hallelujah. All through our scripture, we see the manifestation of God's grace. God is gracious. Hallelujah. The Bible says, God who is rich in mercy. Amen and amen. And the believer would do well to understand that. It is not because of the New Testament that God is gracious. No. That is what he has been. And the New Testament is a revelation of that graciousness. Hallelujah. That's what the Bible says. And the word became flesh. It dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory of the Holy Begotten of the Father. Full of grace, which is the truth. The word did not just appear out of nowhere. The Bible says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. So right from the beginning, the word who is full of grace, which is the truth, was there. You see it? God has always been gracious. The New Testament is a revelation of that grace. Hallelujah. The cross is a revelation of the grace of God. The heart of God toward mankind. Amen and amen. In the Old Testament, we're seeing God was simply showing to them how that man without the grace of God continues to wallow in darkness. Hallelujah. And is subject to sin and death. The only thing that can redeem man is God's grace. Nothing more, nothing less. Man is totally helpless without God's grace. And that is what Paul is trying to show to us. So he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to them that believe, first to the Jew and to the Gentile. He says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Hallelujah. For by grace are ye saved. Through faith and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Amen and amen. The graciousness of God. So Paul is showing how, you see it, you see where Paul is going with his argument. He begins in chapter 1, chapter 2, and now chapter 3. He shows how the pagan who is without the law shall be judged by his conscience, and if he is judged by that conscience, he is still guilty. And then the one, the Jew, who prides himself in the law, has also broken the law so many times, so he's also guilty before God. All men are concluded under sin and under judgment before God. What has God done to redeem man? He shows the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Brethren, we have it good in Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Listen. There are many lessons to take from what we have learned today. Hallelujah. And I trust that your heart is established in the truth of God's word that we have learned today. Amen and amen. So from henceforth, having learned this, there are many questions we should not be asking. Hallelujah. What will happen to you? So what, 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 will, God judge, will, will God judge Pharaoh because God used him for his glory? Will God judge Judas Iscariot because God used him? Something good came out of it. Shall we continue to sin so that grace would abound? Oh, are you mean, Pastor Sam, so you mean we, should, we can do whatever we want? Oh, come on. Now you know the truth. 
those questions should not come out of their mouth again. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. I want you to lift up your voice and begin to give praise to God. Lift up your voice, begin to give praise to God. Thank God this this evening. Lift up, thank God for what He has done in Christ for us. Hallelujah. Lift up your voice.